Welcome to the Access Church Podcast and our Sermon of the Week. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Well, we are in the book of, of James, and we're walking through <clears throat> James. We'll, we'll be in this uh, for several more weeks, so this week and next week, and then Steph Peters will be sharing with us when her and Eloy are here. And then I'll, I'll take a pause uh, during Christmas, because I know... Uh, you know, I, there's just a traditional element to, to the Christmas season. Some of you, uh, if I blaze through James, it would be like Antichrist, right? So we will we'll, we'll focus on Christmas during Christmas season, and then we will <clears throat> we'll jump back in. But uh, I love James; it's so practical, especially uh, today. So the power of our speech, the greatest power I believe that God has given us. And then somebody awesome on the worship team is second who cough drops up here. So thank you for that. So the tongue is a, is a really fascinating muscle when you think about it. Taste buds uh, bring us pleasure by informing our mind that something is sweet, something is sour, something is spicy, something that's bitter. And it starts where? It starts in the power of of the tongue. It allows us to shape our thoughts, sounds turned to specific words expressing genuine emotion that we we feel. It's interesting when you think about it that the tongue has no specific bones, but it's strong enough to break the human heart. That you can say something hurtful in 10 seconds with your words and look back 10 years later on a wound in somebody's life that hasn't healed. There is power in what you say, right? Amen? There is power in what you say. And as James is is teaching and he's talking to these believers that are under persecution, they're suffering, they're scattered, we see in every one of the chapters he addresses something related to the tongue or our speech. We see in chapter 1, verse 19, he said, everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. You ever catch yourself? It's like, I just wish I could grab it back, you know? Somebody said that reckless words are like throwing uh, the feathers from a feather pillow up in a, on a windy day and trying to grab your, your words back. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And James is talking about this so much because it's, what he's doing is he's linking the words we speak to the spiritual condition of our heart. And so that's critically important, that the words we speak are critically linked to where our heart is. So that's number, that's number one. That's why it's so incredibly important. And then number two, it's so incredibly important because y'all have a lot to say. The average person has 30 conversations a day. Average American male speaks 20,000 words a day. Average American female speaks 30,000 words every day of her life. If you were to take the conversations that you had within the course of a year and you compiled those into a volume of books, it would consist of 66 800-page books would be a count of the conversations that you had 
in one year. So obviously, if it's linked to the condition of our heart, if it's something that's so incredibly important and, 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 and linked to our lives, James is consistently addressing this. And so as we get to this chapter in the book, he gives us six specific images this morning or three kind of classifications of the tongue. But I want you to see, before we even get into to James, I want you to see from Scripture how language is not a new problem. It's not like all of a sudden we woke up today and said, God, help me with my speech. Look at what the Bible says about Moses in Psalm 106, verse 32 through 33. Trouble came to Moses because of them, for they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. Everybody say rash words. Rash words. Look at what Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5 says. He says, woe to me, I cry, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean, what? Lips. Job 40, verse 4, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. You ever just have one of those moments? It's like, Lord, just hold Peter, the great preacher, I'll never deny Jesus. Matthew 26, verse 74. Then he began to call down what? Curses. So this isn't like this new thing that I just discovered. All of a sudden, wow, people wrestle with what they speak. No. We're sitting one-on-one in the cafe before service. I'm eating my donut. You're eating your grapes and bananas, your health, whatever. I think you'd honestly say, I could use some more help from the Holy Spirit in containing the words that I speak. I think we'd all say, this is an area that I think we can continue to surrender more and more to God, right? So James is is very practical here, and it applies to all of us. But I love in verse 1 of chapter 3, so we'll start there. He starts this message about controlling your words with the people that kind of have the biggest mouths in the room. Yeah, preachers and teachers. Verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So James, as he's writing this, he's sending this letter out. It's being read to the believers that are suffering under persecution. There's this like immediate concern that he addresses, and then he's going to kind of go from there. In the early church, the the role of a teacher in the church was incredibly important to the survival and the spiritual depth of, of the, especially the young believers. In the early church, teachers were incredibly vital and, and important both to the survival and the spiritual growth to the people that were kind of under their care. And we see how that role is, is focused on in the church of Antioch with, with, um, and, and so forth. And teachers um, were, were instructing new believers and they were, they were speaking the word of God. And, and it, it appears that he's, as he's writing to James that there are many people that are, that are drawn to being a teacher of God's word. Becoming a rabbi or a, or a teacher was the highest calling of a, of a Jewish child. They had great influence in, in the life of the early church. And James starts with the teachers and he says, you may 
want to think twice about being a person that teaches God's word, for they will suffer and have a higher level of accountability. Maybe they were struggling with, you know, wanting what would be perceived influence or perceived power, even that's such a horrible way to look at it other than a calling. But evidently, there was this issue there with with people that were continually desiring to to teach. And it's not like he's devaluing the ministry. He's just kind of putting this caution out there. And he's saying that teachers or people that, that preach the word of God or they share the word of God, that they face a stricter judgment or a higher level of accountability from God. And this is something that I think about all the time, right? Because everybody wants to be loved, everybody wants to be liked, everybody wants to, but like at the end of the day, I'm not going to stand before God and he's going to say, well, your likability factor was high. They loved you. No, it has nothing to do with that. And James is saying, you just kind of got to take it seriously when you like open up the word of God and teach it, that it's not some jaded thing, that it's not some, you know, has some bent or some slant personally, but you just kind of get up and you just say like, this is what the Bible says, right? I don't get up and tell stories for 45 minutes. Like we start with like the Bible because it's kind of like everything when, when you teach, right? But then he says this in verse two, that being said, We all stumble in many ways. Look at the person next to you. Say, you're a stumbler. Look at the other person. Say, many ways. I know it's awkward. She just looked at your spouse. But she could just look back at you. Say, you stumble too, right? We're all a work in progress, right? I don't want a church that has perfect people because a perfect person's a liar because they're imperfect, right? We're all a work in progress, right? I'm, I'm a work in progress. I'm hopefully more mature than I was yesterday, and in tomorrow I'll be growing. Yeah, I mean, just constantly a work in progress. This word that's perfect doesn't mean perfect. The idea is it means mature or complete. Everybody say complete. So he says we stumble at times. We occasionally fall. We all come short of what? The glory of God. But here's, the, here's what I want you to see, just the overarching theme, and then we'll walk through these pictures that he gives us. You'll read on the screen. Your mouth is a measure of your maturity. Your mouth is a measure of your maturity. How can I measure Zach's spiritual maturity? Well, listen to what he says. Your mouth is a measure of your maturity. The tongue is the way that we become and is a sign of us being more perfect or more mature or more complete. It's directly connected to how we are able to control the words that we speak. In fact, it's connected to our whole bodies, the Bible says. The tongue speaks what's in the the heart and what's in the mind. Someone once said that the tongue is the bucket that dips into the well of a person's heart. It's like a bucket. It's the bucket that dips into the well of like who you and I really are. Yeah, I know it's good. That's why I'm saying it. <laughs> so James says, here's six pictures of what this looks like. So this isn't gonna be like six points, but I'll, I'm gonna walk through these six, six pictures. 
three specific areas. That my words, say my words, have the power to direct, say direct. That your life is directed by and directly linked to the words that come from our mouth. Look at what James says. Two sides. I mean, he says bits and rudders here. Verses three through four. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. This is not some puny little donkey that has a clown riding on it, okay? Think 1,500 to 2,000 pound animal. A bit within the mouth of that animal directs the entire course of where that horse is going, right? Right? <laughs> or take ships, for example. Although they are so large, say large. They're driven by strong winds, and yet they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot Jesus wants it to go, right? That's where. <laughs> Bits and rudders. What do these two things have in common? They're small and yet effective controllers in directing something much larger than themselves. So he says it's like a bit in the horse's mouth to bridle. James introduces this analogy of something that makes sense to the people. As you share the gospel with, your, with people, you break it down in a way that kind of makes sense to them. So James is like, how am I going to talk about the power to direct? Well, there's a horse. 1,500 to 2,000 pounds. You know, my parents are, are here today, and I, I love my parents. Still trying to forgive some childhood memories. Great family day as a kid going horseback riding. <laughs> yeah, they're laughing. I told Erin I was going to share this story. She just kind of was already chuckling. My parents decided when we were young that we were going to go horseback riding, kind of like you know, it wasn't Facebook back then, but let's just go ahead and have the American dream, you know? Everybody get on a horse and yeah. So we go to this place and there's like, it's wet and there's like two feet of mud and they <clears throat> line these horses up and they give me like, I was probably the heaviest one. They give me like the horse with the busted back. <laughs> and they put us on, they're like, here's the reins, you know, you pull this way and it'll go that way. You pull, I'm like, it's like a steering wheel, right? So they put us on these horses. They give us this like two second lesson off to the woods we go as a family, you know? And yet I'm on the one that's like going, you know, zero miles an hour. Everybody else is trotting ahead or whatever you call it. And, you know, I was kind of impressed with myself. I could control this thing. You just pull this way, just like a car, you know? Except they didn't teach us what to do when the stupid thing was so slow that it was barely moving. I could steer it, but what do you do? Well, John Wayne. Remember some of those videos as a kid? Whoosh, you know? So I was like, Whoosh. And the second I did that, it was like the equivalent of hitting an ejection button out of an aircraft. <laughs> and I, I mean, like, they're all way ahead, and I'm like laying down in the mud like just a mess. Inconsolable, still struggling with unforgiveness. <laughs> As that horse ran, unrestrained, 
It reminds me of the power of the bit and the bridle and the ability to restrain an animal. Yet I wonder at times how many times our lives are unrestrained. Just, just horse going off, doing his thing. Just, James says that piece in the mouth is the power of the direction of the words that we speak. So it's so much more than just stop the negative talking. It's like, do you realize that the words you speak direct the course of your life, the power and the possibility and the the potential that you have in speaking positively, speaking God's will over your life. Contrast that with an unrestrained tongue. Show me someone with an unrestrained tongue. Somebody that's frustrated all the time. Somebody that's angry all the time. Somebody that can't, you know, keep a rein on their tongue. I'll show you an uncontrolled life in future. Yeah, you show me somebody that has the power to control that which they speak. I'll, t- I'll show you a life of somebody that God is directing as he's reining in on the course of their life. That's the goal. It's the power of what we speak because the mouth is the measure of our maturity. Paul teaches it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The whole body is a living sacrifice to God, my tongue included. Every day on the altar, I should be surrendering and sacrificing my, my tongue as a living, active sacrifice to God. That's a life that he directs. Verse four, take ships as an example. They're so large. They're so large and driven by strong winds, yet they're steered by a very small rudder. So James is like, even if you don't get the the horse illustration, I'm gonna try to find the most powerful man-made structure known to the early Christian, and I'm gonna describe the power and the possibility of a life that's surrendered to God. He doesn't say your life's like some puny little canoe. It's not like some little twit, you know, fishing boat. He says, think of a ship. Think of the largest thing that's known to man. The power and the possibility. He says that ship representing your life, the significance of your life on this earth is driven by A small rudder, just a real little thing. Think of how pivotal our words can be. And yet think about how damaging. Think of what the oil spills that we see that takes place with large tankers that can cause billions of dollars in damage because of an uncontrolled rudder. The bit and the rudder both have the power to direct, which means they also impact and affect the lives of others. I mean, a shipwreck could cost millions and billions of dollars, but it could also cost, you know, injury or, or death to the passengers or the people that are in its path. You don't think words have power. Go to a courtroom voluntarily, and you sit down and you watch As somebody sits before a judge, and in two short words, their entire destiny is decided. Guilty? Not guilty. You can't tell me there's not power in 
your words. Think of the U.S. presidents throughout history who spoke very few words, signed some papers, and all of a sudden our nation's at war. A simple yes or no from a parent can greatly direct the entire course of their life. Never underestimate the guidance in the words that you speak. Think of Jesus at at the well, sitting down with the, the woman in just a very few short words, changes her life, and the Bible says miraculously changes the lives of many other people. Peter gets up, day of Pentecost, speaks a very short message, and all of a sudden we see the dramatic change and transformation. But here's the thing with, with bits and with rudders, I want you to see, is they must overcome contrary forces. A bit must overcome the wild nature of the horse. And a rudder must fight against the winds or the cross currents that can drive the ship off course. And I believe that your words need to be able to fight these type of forces as well. Which is why there are scriptures in the Bible like Psalm 141 verse 3. I post a guard at my mouth, God. I set a watch at the door of my lips. Proverbs 13, 3. He who guides his lips guards his life. He guides his, or guards his lips guards his his life. Now, most of you work in a secular environment, right? And I try to say it this way. God's assignment for you, it's not that you work it. God's assignment for you this week is in a secular environment. And you go to that place every day and it's like life on mission. And yet you look at that environment. It's full of division. It's full of hostility. It's full of negativity. It's full of backbiting and lying and tearing down in a culture that's focused on me and myself. Those are the crosswinds that you and I live in. And yet just as a bit has to fight that nature with, of the horse, just as the, the, the rudder has to fight the crosswinds of the current, you and I, in our world today, we have to fight those things with the words that we speak. We don't take the path of least resistance. Right? Are you with me? One kind word, I believe, can change an entire day in somebody's life. One kind word. One timely word. What's a timely word? It's just like that Holy Spirit. You know, he just kind of gives you something to say to somebody. And one kind word can change somebody's entire day. One kind of Holy Spirit, you know, he speaks something just, and you speak it out to somebody. That can change the entire course of somebody's life. Don't ever resist those just little nudges. I feel like I'm supposed to say this to you, and you just say it. You can change the course of somebody's entire life. The power to direct. Secondly, the power to destroy. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body. It makes great boasts. Here's the imagery. Consider what a a great forest is set on fire by a, a, a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. It, in and of itself, is set on fire by hell. So James says, your words not only have the power to direct, but he says, I want you to see the destructive nature of the words that we speak. He says, picture a great forest fire that started by a very small spark a very small 
cigarette that's just thrown on the ground and all of the sudden tens of thousands of acres are destroyed. As he's using this imagery, they would have understood the day with the dry seasons in Israel with grass and the low thorn bushes and so forth. It was as dry as explosive timber. Tinder. One small spark would set something on fire very, very quickly. So he gives the first two analogies to talk about the directive power of words, but now he's speaking of the damaging power of our words, that we can't control the effects of our words. In tender, dry conditions, a forest fire burns out of control in a very short period of time. And James is saying it's just kind of like the rumor that comes from our lips. Before you even know it, it's hard to even just rein it back in. And we see this take place all, all the time in our world today with politics and just a quote taken out of context, and all of a sudden, a person's entire reputation is destroyed. You can neither control nor reverse the damaging power in the words that we speak. Years ago, I had a friend of mine that had a, had a small fire in the basement of his house. And something that he, I was, I was thinking about this scripture, something he linked to me was this scripture years ago when I was in college. He said, I just had a small fire in the basement of my house. I was able to put it out and the whole thing. But as they went to kind of reconstruct the damage to the house, he said, the clothing in the third floor bedroom closets had to be replaced. He said, the the paint in the bedrooms on the third floor just simply because of the damaging nature of the effects of the, of the smoke throughout the house. Jim says that's like the power of, of our words, wide-ranging impact. They can kill at a distance. They can hurt face-to-face, but it's like long-ranging missiles as well. It's a world of evil, the Bible says. <clears throat> Think about all of the terrible damage that's done simply by words. How many marriages are destroyed? How many children's lives are destroyed? How many friendships are damaged? Reputations ruined? Wars that are fought? Fights that are aroused? Injury that's caused? Promotions that are... I mean, the destructive power in the language that we speak. Show me a sin and I'll show you a language system that's linked to that. So they have the power to direct... The power to destroy, James says it like corrupts the whole body. It's like a a disease that's uncontrolled, that's spreading and rapidly increasing. And it sets the whole course of one's life. The idea here in the Greek is it says the whole course. It says the wheel of nature or the wheel of life from life to death. That whole thing can be polluted. You ever been in somebody's house? And you just know, like, there's just unrestrained language that's used. Or you could just sense it in a work environment. When I was uh, a young adult, I worked in, uh, for a season at a um, place that prepared tack, uh, paperwork for mortgages. And I remember just like my second day, the whole environment of that office was just, it was just polluted by the, le- and just how that impacted and how damaging that was And I remember thinking, if they could just have one supervisor or one boss or one leader in this organization that grasped 
the power of what these people were speaking, how one person could change that entire, the, the entire climate of that office. The damaging power of our words. Name the sin, words are involved. Either the thoughts of the mind or verbally through the tongue. And it says in the Bible, it itself is set on fire by hell. The idea is that this, this habitual action that, that the tongue keeps on setting, keeps on inflaming our, our passions, our temper, our actions are displeasing to God. It says flames like hate and prejudice and slander and jealousy and, and envy. And you see how that plays out in our world today. It's terrible. Not so in the body of Christ. Not so. It's one of the things that I love. I just love about access here. I mean, just, just people that are encouraging, people that speak life, never dealing with like pollution, just, just encouraging environment. I pray we, to God, we never lose that. We never lose that. Because that's what, that's what the world is today, right? A couple weeks ago, I was on campus at an event. <clears throat> and there was a college student and his fiance near us. And then this guy that was about my grandfather's age. And I'm kind of like in between. And the, the older man said something and it provoked the young man. And immediately, just the hatred and the language that came out of his mouth towards this man literally cut him to the bone. You know, you get conflicted, right? I'm like a human being like everybody else. So it's like, you know, there's that righteous anger that wants to lay hands on this guy, right? And then there's part of me that's like, wow, what in the world's going on in his heart that he thinks that that would be appropriate? And yet two hours later, I can look back and I still see that guy. It reminds me of my grandfather. I can still see him sitting in his chair, distraught, his head down. I mean, it cut him to the core damaging power of our words. And yet James says that sometimes it's not that verbal. Say verbal. It's not that verbal. It's not that obvious. So here's how he says in verses seven through eight. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures can be tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. Full of deadly poison. So James is like, picture a zoo. I mean, you can take an animal that's unrestrained and you can control it. You can confine it. You can fence it up. And whether it's a lion, a tiger, a bear, I mean, whatever. Men can control animals. But he says it, not so with the tongue. There's no human being, say me included, No human being can tame the tongue. So you've got to come to this realization because you live in a neighborhood with neighbors. You work in an office with coworkers. You have unsaved family. Come to the realization that in and of their own power, they cannot, nor will they ever have the ability to control their tongue. Don't take it personally. The Bible says they can't do it. Don't expect that they can. 
He says it's like deadly poison. It says it's restless. It's like that feeling of your legs. You ever go to sleep at night and your legs are just constantly moving? They just, they can't sit still. It says that, that the tongue is unstable. It's incapable of being restrained. It's capable of evil and remains untamed throughout the course of a person's life. It's full of poison. It's like venom from a snake. The deceptive thing about poison is it works secretly and slowly it destroys. So it's not that verbal assault with a young man to an old man, but it's like snake poison. It's just like that seed that's sown in the conversation. And all of a sudden it works slowly and silently and it secretly kills. You know, in ministry you see this all the time with people. You'd be surprised at a funeral and all of a sudden you're talking to siblings. How much unforgiveness is there from something that was said 30 years ago. Snake venom. You talk to and you counsel somebody that's struggling with insecurity, self-esteem, their identity in Christ, and all of a sudden you find out that like some 13-year-old boy in fifth grade said something to them, and now they're 40. And that poison has impacted them all of these years. So the power to direct, the power to destroy, no man is capable of of taming his tongue, but only Jesus, through the power of his spirit, enables you and I to control our tongue. It should be one of the defining marks of a spirit-filled believer is somebody that's able to speak and to control that which they say. I don't think you can be in a secular environment for a long period of time and people not know that you're a Christian. I just don't think that's possible. Because only through Jesus can you can control your tongue in a world where nobody has the ability. You say, well, I just blend in. I'd say, well, then you're not doing something right. I just fit in with everybody else. They don't even know. Well, here's one thing I know. You're not doing something right. Because the Bible says that only through Jesus I think that's one of the reasons why one of the signs of the Holy Spirit is linked to what? Our mouth, our speaking. The power to direct, the power to destroy. Most importantly here, the power to delight. Here's here's what the Bible says. Verse nine. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Never forget the person that you speak about. They're no more than or no less than the image of God than you. No more than less than the image of God than me. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. James is like, hold on one second. Let's break this down. There should be no inconsistencies. None. This should not be. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, my brothers. This should not be. Can both, I love that he asks a question. You ever ask somebody a question, you know they know the answer, right? Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? James isn't saying this because he doesn't know the answer. James is trying to get him to think about it. Obviously no is what he would say in big letters. Obviously no. My brothers and sisters, 
Can a fig tree bear olives? Obviously no. Or can a grapevine bear freaks? Obviously no. Neither can salts spring produce fresh water. Say fresh water. So James here is talking about consistency, right? We do a lot of talking. It's important. But it's directly linked to our hearts. Say my heart. So this is not a message on clean up your talk. Please, if you leave and you think that, has nothing to do with clean up your talk. Has everything to do with surrender more of your heart. More of your heart. It has to, it's an inside thing. The power to delight. James asks the interesting questions and he's reminding us that our speech is controlled not by the tongue. It's controlled and directed by something that's deep within us. Jesus centered. Everything centered and everything is an outflow of that. He reminds us that the words we speak from our mouths actually come from the overflow of our hearts. So if you were here today and you say, Zach, I really, I wish I had more of the ability to control what I speak. Don't look at your mouth. Look at your heart. Don't try harder like, I just wish I could, no, surrender more. Lord, what is hidden within the crevices of my heart that I need to surrender? Because it's out of there that it, praising God and blessing, it was a normal practice for the, for the Jews and the Jewish Christians. James is like saying, he's saying, the highest and the best use of your tongue is to praise God. The highest and the best use of your tongue is to praise God. Over the course of the week, Zach, what's the most profound, what's the most pleasing thing that I could say to God? It's praise. It's praise. It's praising God. It's the highest. It's the highest use of your tongue. There's nothing more that pleases the heart of God than we, when, we, when we praise. It's not like come to church and clap and sing and like move on. It's No, that's the highest use of our tongue. The highest. And yet James, here's what he's like saying. He's like, look at the inconsistency. He's like, can you imagine being in church and we're praising, it's the highest use of our tongue. And then you go out in the parking lot and somebody pulls out in front of you and you curse them out. <laughs> it's like, that's ridiculous. But James is like, that's the potential. If you don't address the heart. James knew that his followers, followers of Jesus were capable of praising and cursing. Peter promised, I won't deny you. And then he's like cursing. James says, this should not be. It just shouldn't be. It's a spring. Everything that God does, it's within. It's a spring of living water. And yet I wonder how many times in our world today, our words are like a flood like a flood. A couple more minutes, the damaging effects of a flood. James is issuing this warning. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring, the same, the same heart? In many 
countries, the presence of fresh water, a freshwater spring is a great blessing to the entire village. That which you carry in the office is to be a great blessing to the entire culture and climate of where you work. They need water, water for drinking and washing and cooking and farming. Water was as essential to everyday life in the early church as it could be. James is like, obviously, these two things can't flow out of the same thing. Nature produces after its kind. Proverbs 18.4, the words of the mouth are deep waters, the Bible says. But the fountain of wisdom is like a rushing stream. Proverbs 10.11, the mouth of the righteous is like a fountain of life. That the words that you speak, it's like a fountain of life in an area that's reproducing after itself death and destruction. That's what you carry because of Christ within you. That's what you carry because of Christ within you. As we close three qualities of spring water, it's life-giving. It's life-giving. We go hunting in a specific area in, in, in Pennsylvania, and I remember as a kid my dad teaching me, if you ever get lost, There's the spring. You can be without water for days and weeks, but there's life-giving power in the spring. It's a quality of the words that you speak. Death and life, the Bible says, are in the power of the tongue. Life, you speak life and and hope and, and joy. The words that I speak, Jesus said, they're spirit and they're life. Water's refreshing. Man, there's times, you know, there's nothing like water, right? Last weekend, Ashley goes to this race. You're exhausted when you go through it. Not that I know, but I could just tell from their faces, right? I was with Tim and Paul and we're at the finish line. There wasn't one smiling face coming across that finish line. It was like they crossed over like the line of death, you know? I just need water. I just need water. There's nothing like water. It's, it's refreshing. It's, re- it's refreshing. Romans chapter 15, verse 32, Paul's prayer. Look at what he says. He says, so that I may come to be with you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. It should be our heart to bring refreshing waters everywhere that we go. Paul often named Christians as the people that refreshed him. 1 Corinthians 16, for they refreshed my spirit, Paul says. Philemon, he says, they have refreshed the hearts of the people. Your life should bring refreshment. And then finally, as the worship team comes, water cleans. No mistake out of the Old Testament that the labor at the tabernacle Provided cleansing for the priest's hands and feet. Let's just close our eyes and ask the Holy Spirit. Speak to us today. That the words we speak have the ability to help and heal, yet hinder and hurt and harm and humiliate and humble. Lord, there is power in the words that we speak. And Lord, our desire is to never leave a message like today and say, I got it. 
I just got to work harder on it. Lord, you said we cannot do it. No man in this room, no woman in this room, no child has the ability to control the tongue. But oh, God, what you do with a life that's fully surrendered to you. that a room full of people like this today can leave and go to work tomorrow. Recognizing the power of of what they speak. You say, well, Jesus, you know, it's, it's all about seeing my life, Zach. I never need to share the gospel, you know. Just look at me. They'll figure it out. No, there's a speaking element to sharing the gospel. There's a life-giving element as you share the gospel. Just keep Jesus at the center. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. So that we can become the righteousness of God. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done for us. But there's a speaking element to our faith. And yet, Lord, as we surrender our to you, Lord, would you purify our hearts? May that be reflected in the words that we speak. Would you purify our hearts? And would that be reflected in the words that we speak? One word can change somebody's entire day. Yet one seasoned word or a fresh word from you for somebody can change and direct somebody's entire life. Lord, would you help us through the power of your Holy Spirit as we just surrender more to you. Would you just stand across the room this morning? And I'm going to ask you as we sing this song, would you just commit to the Lord today? This is a song of consecration today. Talking about our hearts. Lord, this is my desire to honor you. It's my desire, Lord, just to honor you with my life. If that's your heart this morning, would you just come forward and sing this song just as an act of surrender as we just ask the Lord to challenge us, to encourage us, and to equip us. He's got stuff in store for you this week. But it's only going to happen through a life that's totally surrendered. If that's your heart, just raise your hands as a sign of surrender. Come forward and just say, Lord, this is where I'm at. Lord, I'm coming right here with you. Lord, we surrender more to you today. Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like to further connect with us, you can find us online at scaccesschurch.com or on any social media platform. Have a blessed week.